Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. What do you think of this statement? Spiritual change is more a consequence of what our hearts love than of what our hands do. Former Covenant Seminary President Brian Chapel, who makes this statement in his book Holiness by Grace, is right, I believe. Spiritual maturity is loving the wrong things less and the right things more. Perhaps that is why God makes the staggering statement to us in Proverbs 23, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Our desires shape our priorities. Our priorities shape our decisions. Our decisions shape our actions. Our actions shape our destiny. Today, we begin a six-week series entitled, Understanding the Masculine Passions that Drive Us. In this series, we want to look at the good desires God created into the masculine heart, the way these desires have been corrupted, steering us in wrong ways to satisfy them, and how Christ can recover, renew, and restore those fallen desires into the godly man he wants you and me to be. Today we examine the power of a man's need for approval. Everyone likes approval. We enjoy seeing our teacher's A at the top of our essay. Fresh oxygen is breathed into our motivation when we hear, good game, good game. Our shelves are covered with athletic awards and our walls are lined with framed certificates that verify that we have been approved by an educational institution to receive a bachelor's, master's, or doctor's degree. Wanting approval often leads us down a path to success and achievement, but it can also lead us in directions of compromise, regret, and self-loathing especially when we weakly surrender to unhealthy peer pressure. We all know the experience of hearing our conscience warn us, say no, but saying yes instead in order to fit in. We have all been in situations where we sense the leading of God's Spirit to identify ourselves as Christians, but we've chickened out. We have all looked back with regret on times we should have stood for righteousness, but caved. The goal of this episode is to help us seek God's approval more and the world's approval less. Thanks for joining us today for Season 3, Episode number 28 of Mission-Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. Author Keith Leanhouts tells a moving story about the way our hearts are shaped to want approval. In this case, the approval of a father. It's about a football coach named Lou Little at Georgetown University and a player he coached named Jerry. Jerry wasn't very skilled. He practiced all the time, getting in the game only occasionally. But in four years, this dedicated, loyal young man never missed a practice. The coach, deeply impressed with Jerry's loyalty and dedication to the team, also marveled at his evident devotion to his father. Several times the coach had seen Jerry and his visiting father on the campus talking, visiting with one another, walking arm in arm around campus. 
but the coach had never met the father or talked with Jerry about him. During Jerry's senior year, and a few nights before the most important game of the season, a traditional rivalry like Army-Navy, Michigan-Ohio State, the coach heard a knock on his door. Opening the door, he saw Jerry, his face full of sadness. Coach, my father just died, Jerry murmured. Is it okay if I miss practice a few days and go home? The coach said he was very sorry to hear the news and that, of course, it was all right for him to go home. As Jerry murmured a thank you and turned to leave, the coach added, Please don't feel you have to return for the game this Saturday. You are certainly excused from that, too. The youth nodded and left. But on Friday night, just hours before the big game, Jerry again stood in the coach's doorway. Jerry said, Coach, I have a request of you. May I please start the game tomorrow? The coach tried to dissuade the youth, but finally consented. That night, the coach tossed and turned. Why in the world had he said yes to the youth? The opposing team was favored by 21 points. He needed his best players in the entire game. Suppose the opening kickoff came to Jerry and he fumbled. Obviously, he could not let the kid play. But he had promised. So as the bands played and the crowds roared, Jerry stood at the goal line awaiting the opening kickoff. The coach thought to himself, well, the ball probably won't go to him anyway. Then the coach would run a few plays and take Jerry out of the game. That way he wouldn't have to worry about the crucial fumble and he would have kept his promise. Oh no, the coach thought as he watched the ball float end over end right into Jerry's arms. But instead of fumbling, Jerry hugged the ball tightly, dodged three tacklers, and ran to midfield before being tackled. The coach had never seen Jerry run with such agility and power, and perhaps sensing something great, he had the quarterback call a running play for Jerry. He responded by breaking tackles for a 20-yard gain. A few plays later, Jerry carried the ball over the goal line. The opponents were stunned. Who in the world was this kid, anyway? He wasn't in their scouting report, for up to that point he'd played a total of three minutes all season. Well, the coach left Jerry in on offense and defense. Some guys played both ways back then, and Jerry did it all. Tackling, intercepting, knocking down passes, blocking, and running. At the half, the underdogs led by 14 the second half started. Jerry continued to inspire his team, and when the final whistle blew, his team had won. In the locker room, the coach sought out Jerry and found him sitting quietly, head in his hands, in a far corner. The coach asked, putting his arm around the boy, Son, what happened out there? You're not that fast. You're not that quick. You're not that talented. Jerry looked at the coach and said softly, You see, coach, my father was blind. This was the first game he ever saw me play. What a great, true story. Jerry's passion ignited enormous power and energy. He was playing for his father's approval. There's another man who lived for his father's approval. His name was Jesus. He said things like, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, John 4.34. Or, I always do the things that are pleasing 
to my father, John eight twenty nine, And father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do and not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus heard the words he most wanted to hear spoken audibly by the father from heaven on three separate occasions. Matthew 3.17, 12.18, and 17.5. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. As I mentioned last week, I believe the dynamic between Jesus and His Heavenly Father reveals a paradigm for all humans. God has created us with the heart longing for the approval of our Heavenly Father. To hear, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Last week, we saw this truth from the perspective of a father, but this week, I want to look at it from the perspective of us and our Heavenly Father. We see the creation longing of children for their father's approval in the counseling world, as we saw last week, where the deficit of this approval is called the father wound. It is the wound to children's hearts that occurs when their need for their father's approval goes unmet. I believe that earthly fathers serve temporarily during their child's early years as surrogates for the heavenly father whose love and affirmation their children eventually need to experience firsthand in order to flourish. Being created with a longing for God's approval is not only revealed in the example of Jesus and in human experience, it also goes with being created as God's image bearer to be a vice ruler for him. If my identity is to represent God in the way I rule over my life, I will constantly look to him for approval of my behavior in order to represent him well. Just as the employee seeks to please his boss— The pupil, his teacher, the player, his coach, God's image bearers seek to know what pleases our God, so we represent him as he wishes. That is why we hear the biblical writers say things like, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, Colossians 1.10. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Hebrews 13:16 Walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Ephesians 5:9 through 10 So we're created with a deep hunger in our heart for the approval of the high king as we rule our lives for him. This hunger is further identified in one of Jesus' parables. And Jesus said, a man going on a journey called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. 
I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 23. In this parable, Jesus appeals to our God-given desire to hear well done from the lips of our master. He has entrusted to you a sphere of life over which you are to be his faithful steward on planet Earth. This sphere includes your heart attitudes, body, skills, talents, spiritual gifts, family relationships, vocational calling, money, apartment, or home. And every single day, we have the opportunity to bring a smile to God's face by making choices that please Him. We were created to crave His affirmation and approval. But one of the problems our race faces is that our need for God's approval has been corrupted into a hunger for man's approval. To recognize the breadth and depth of this corruption, we need only think about Peter, the boldest and strongest of the disciples, who boasted that though the other disciples would fall away from Jesus, he never would. Jesus' response was, oh, really? Before the rooster crows twice tomorrow morning, you will have denied me three times. And as you know, Peter did just that, even invoking a curse on himself, swearing, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Immediately, the rooster crowed a second time, and we read that Peter broke down and wept. I suspect that everyone listening to the podcast has felt that shame of denying our Lord. So how can we intensify our desire to please God and reduce our desire to be people pleasers? Well, first, understand that being liked by everyone is not a panacea, but a trap. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And Jesus taught in Luke 6.26, How miserable for you when everybody says nice things about you, for that is exactly how their fathers treated the false prophets. The fact is that the painful conviction that we have denied Christ hurts more than the rejection of our non-Christian friends. And similarly, the pleasure of knowing that we have winsomely identified ourselves as Christ followers, said no to an invitation to do wrong, or in some other way have taken a loving stand for righteousness, brings with it a special joy that outweighs the pain of not fitting in. Jesus put it this way, happy are those, makarios, who have suffered persecution for the cause of goodness. A second way to intensify our desire to please Christ and man less is to expect to not fit into the world. Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. If we want the world to love us, we have to be like the world. But God's covenant people were never intended to be like the world, but chosen to be a blessing to the world by shining our spiritual light. I want to quote from a book I wrote a couple years ago, Anchoring Your Child to God's Truth in a Gender-Confused Culture, because I sort of pulled together the importance of explaining to their teens why they don't fit in to the secular world around them. 
This is what I wrote. In 1 Peter 2.9, Peter challenges his readers to consider their special identity in the world. He writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy set-apart nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. On this particular issue, I point out the fracturing of the human person into first, sex assigned at birth, second, physical attraction, third, emotional attraction, fourth, gender identity, and fifth, gender roles, comes from the world of darkness. That darkness fiercely opposes the biblical worldview of sexuality. For example, if your daughter were to mention that she believes that God's command for Christian wives to submit to their husbands reflects God's good design for marriage, she would likely be mercilessly scorned by her friends. But just as Abraham's posterity was chosen not to fit in to the fallen world, but to be a blessing to it, Christians, the spiritual seed of Abraham, are to be a blessing to the world, which is still shrouded in the darkness of sin. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. A third way to maximize our desire to please God and not to please men is to realize what a privilege it is to give God pleasure. I mean, this is the definition of pleasing God. Out of gratefulness and love for him, we can give him this gift. Psalm 147, verse 10 through 11 says, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. And in First Chronicles twenty nine seventeen, we read, I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. Alistair Begg, in his book Made for His Pleasure, describes an experience that helped him realize how meaningful it is to give God pleasure. After seeing his son score his very first goal in soccer, he writes, I wasn't prepared for the tears that smarted in my eyes. I had not realized that it was possible to take such intense delight in to be so incredibly pleased by seeing someone else succeed. I thought about it then, and I've considered it often since then. If I, an earthly father, can know such a sensation of pleasure in the well-being of my son, surely that gives an inkling of how our heavenly father feels when we please him. If we could only grasp and be grasped by this, our lives would be revolutionized. The fourth way we might increase our desire to be pleasing to Christ and decrease our desire to please man is this, remembering that our Lord is worthy of our supreme allegiance. That is what loving him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength means. As we have been observing in this episode, the masculine heart has a great capacity for allegiance. Men want to follow a commander-in-chief who leads us to take the hill, but we want to follow a leader who is worthy of our full devotion. 
We want a leader we respect, one who never asks us to do something he hasn't done, one who leads us on a mission that matters, one who wins our allegiance because of his unselfish loyalty to us. You and I were created to please and honor Jesus. There is no more decorated warrior, no more compelling commander, no more loving master, no more inspiring example, no more deserving king, no more worthy Lord to want to please than King Jesus. summarize this episode, just as Jerry found fresh motivation from knowing that his father was finding pleasure watching him play, we need to remember that our God finds great pleasure as we shape our lives to honor him. Our heart is designed to be fulfilled by having him be the king we honor. But that requires battling the desire to be friends with the world. As James points out, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Pleasing God instead of being people pleasers is easier when we realize, number one, the emptiness of having the world's approval. Number two, our vital role as light for a world shrouded in spiritual darkness. Three, what a privilege it is to put a smile on God's face every day. And four, how worthy Jesus is of our undivided devotion to please Him alone. For further prayerful thought, number one, What are the situations in your life where you are most tempted to want man's approval instead of God's? For further questions, see your show notes. This week's past series highlight is Surrounding Our Loved Ones with the Belt of Truth. Season 1, Episodes 48 through 52, October 4th, 2020. Kids and the Science Disproves God argument. Answering... How could a good God allow suffering? Answering, there can't be just one true religion. Answering, you can't take the Bible literally. And finally, shaping culture in a world that Jesus said hates you. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Also on this homepage is a link to an index of past podcast series and episodes that you might want to listen to when you have a chunk of free time. This link is also in your show notes. Next week, we continue our summer series, Understanding the Masculine Passions that Drive Us, by examining the power of a man's need for impact to matter. We will look at both how that desire can lead us astray and how God intends Christ-following men to satisfy it. Thanks for listening today. If this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about it as we seek to swell the ranks of strong, godly men who are leading their families and churches well.